Well, the children are out of here. I guess that means it's our turn. As they're learning about the uh, story of God and and um, being guided by God's Word, we're going to do the same thing. So I invite you to uh, grab a Bible if you don't have one. Um, we do have... Uh, if, if you don't have one, we'll, we'll help you out there. Make sure you get one. Um, we're in First Timothy, and we're continuing through our series called The Gospel uh, in the Household of God. The Gospel in the Household of God. We're looking at First Timothy. We're looking at w- what Paul the Apostle wrote to his kind of protege, his assistant in the ministry, um, in, assistant in his mission to bring the gospel to all people. We're, we're seeing how what Paul wrote to him was essentially this, this letter um, about how the gospel should affect every area of our lives, how the gospel should guide us as a people, as, as a church. And one of the ways that, that uh, Paul describes that, we'll see that in a, uh, a few weeks, he describes it, the, the church, as the household of God. It's a family. The church is a family. And so even, we have a small family gathered this morning, right? But we are a family. That's, that's what God intends for us, to be His household, His family. And so we're looking uh, at, we've been going through this, uh, through this letter now. This is our third our third week, um, up, up to this point, we've seen that Paul's main intention has been to urge... Hey there, welcome, come on in. Um, Paul's main intention was to urge Timothy to confront false teaching. Come on in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Great to have you with us this morning. Come on, we'll give you a chance to, we'll give you a chance to find a place to sit. <laughs> no worries, no worries. If you um, if you have a Bi- if you have a Bible, we're in we're in the letter uh, of First Timothy. If you don't, I think uh, one or two of our folks in the back can can help you out. And maybe bring a bring a couple Bibles up. And you can follow along with us. But as I, as I was saying, um, Paul's been writing um, in his letter to Timothy. Um, first of all, he said, Timothy, you need to confront false teaching. There were people there were people in the church that were teaching what was false. They were just teaching the wrong thing. They were teaching error. We looked a little bit about uh, at what that was. Um, they were trying to distort um, the the scripture. They were trying to make the the scripture say something it wasn't meant to say. Um, they were trying to encourage the the people in that church to live differently. So really, Paul's Paul's whole letter is about how we should have right beliefs. What we believe really does matter, doesn't it? What we believe about the world, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about other people, it really makes a difference, doesn't it? And Paul's, Paul's letter here to Timothy, we've seen it up to this point, we're going to see it this morning, and we're going to see it in the weeks to come. Paul's letter to Timothy really had a lot to do with right beliefs. But right beliefs isn't everything because what we believe influences how we behave, doesn't it? So he's also concerned with right behavior. He's also concerned that, that we live the way that God intends us to live. We live according to God and according to His ways. So today, I'm going to, um, I'm going to uh, recite this, 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 these few verses for us. Um, it's only seven verses today. Um, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. If you want to follow along... 
in your Bibles. Um, you can check me on it, make sure, that I'm, make sure that I've got it right. So here's what Paul said in this next section. He said, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage this morning, God, I pray that you will, by your Holy Spirit, enable us to understand what it is you want us to understand. That you will, you will give us the understanding we need in our hearts. That, that our hearts will be transformed as we hear this word, as we, as we comprehend the meaning of it, as we unpack uh, what are the implications of this word for our lives. God, speak through me. I ask that, that uh, all who are here do not hear me speaking, but they hear you speaking through me, God. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, right off the bat, I want to give you the big idea. The big idea for this passage, okay? We're gonna, I'm going to give it to you now. And um, on the back of your handout, there's a, there's a space there. There's a lot of blank space because I didn't put the notes in the handout this week because I was putting too much in there. <laughs> and the text was too small. Well, that's not the only reason, but... Um, but a lot of blanks here, so right off the bat, I want you to know this is the big idea of this passage. The gospel is the focus and or the focus of and the motivation for our prayer. I'll say it again. The gospel is the focus of and the motivation for our prayer or prayers. As we'll, as we'll see, um, as Paul's writing here, he's talking about multiple kinds of prayers. Various prayers, all kinds of prayers, all, all sorts of things. The gospel is the focus of and the motivation for our prayers. So let's take a look at the focus. Let's take a look at the, the gospel being the focus of our prayers. Look what, look what Paul says. We're just going to kind of go through this passage and, and we'll just kind of dig, dig around and try to discover some of these things. And you guys check me on this. Make sure, that I'm at, make sure that I'm accurate. Make sure that this is really what Paul is saying. And it's not just what I want Paul to say. But here's what he's saying. He said, we should pray for all people. He says, we should pray for all people. Look, at, look what he says. He, he, he starts out with a list. Uh, he, he goes, first of all, and we're going to get back to that in a second. But he says, I urge that supplications prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now these are four, I guess, different kind of categories of prayer. Um, on one hand, I think Paul lists four of them to really emphasize that he wants all of our prayers, every time we pray in any kind of way, that we should pray for other people. And, that, and then he gets specific on who to pray for in the next little verse. But he's also saying that, I think, to reveal the, the different nuances of our prayers. So let's just kind of go down these. Supplications, 
Supplications means really we're making a request for a specific need. So we're identifying a, an, an individual, maybe a, a family member, maybe a neighbor, maybe, um, uh, well, maybe our civic leaders, maybe the, the local mayor or the, or, the, or the county officials or you know, anybody and everybody. We're identifying a specific need and we're bringing that need to God in supplication. Prayers. Prayers is really just a general, a general term for prayer. So you, it, it'd be easy to just kind of skip over that one. But I think what, what Paul is really trying to emphasize, emphasize here is that those needs, we're not just identifying needs and thinking good thoughts about them. Have you ever had that? Um, I appreciate your thoughts and prayers, right? Uh, as a believer, um, I, I don't think our good thoughts um, really count for, for anything. <laughs> And I hate to say that, I know that might step on some toes, but to say my thoughts are with you is, it, it may be encouraging to them, maybe an encouraging word to them, but is it really going to make a difference in the grand scheme of things? See, we believe as believers, as Christians, as a household of God, as the church, that we bring our prayers to somebody who can actually answer them. Somebody who can actually answer our prayers. And that is God. And so when he's saying prayers, he's really trying to remind us that it's not just about who you're praying for or what you're praying about, but it's who you're praying to that really counts. That we're bringing our requests to God. That God is the only one who can meet our needs and we're going to bring them to God. Well, intercessions is the next word he uses. Intercessions is a very... Actually, it's a unique word in the New Testament. It's only found this way in this passage of the entire New Testament. But the word at, in Paul's time, it, it really had an idea of coming to somebody like a king, like um, somebody who was in authority, like somebody who had sovereignty over something, coming to that person and, and saying, please, please, please answer this request. Please answer this request. The idea is that you are being bold to come to God to answer that request. So this word of intercessions means that we should go boldly to God. Go to Him. The writer of Hebrews says, let us approach the throne of God and have with confidence, he says, with confidence or boldly and make our request to Him in the time of need. So we go before God boldly on the behalf of others. That's what these intercessions are. And then the, finally, the word thanksgivings. Well, that word is not a whole lot different than our English word today. That we, we give thanks for people. But specifically here, he's thinking about thanking God for others. Thanking God for others. How many times have you expressed your thanks to God for your family? Many of us probably do on a daily basis, right? Thanking God for our neighbors. Thanking God for the people we work with. When I get to these other categories when he says all people, and we think, how many, how many times does our thanks to God stop with the, with, the, with the loved ones around us? And it doesn't often extend out beyond that. But Paul's, Paul's concern here is that Timothy, lead that church that he was at in this, this city called Ephesus. Lead that church to thank God for all people. So let's talk about all people. All people. 
people means what it means here for us in English as it meant for the people in Paul's time in the original language and in the original culture. It was everybody. <laughs> it was well, all people means all people. So let's see, there are 7 billion people <laughs> on this planet plus and growing every day, every year. And, and God's desire is for us to pray for all of them. For all of them. But I, I want to show you something else here. Um, as Paul is talking, he's, he reminded, in the previous chapter, he reminded uh, Timothy and the church that he was serving, he reminded them that, that there are people around us who are not hearing the gospel. That there are people around us who need to be saved. There are people around us who are different from us culturally, ethnically, economically, you name it. We're, we're all very, very different. The problem with what was going on here with, in Timothy's situation is that these false teachers were turning the household of God into some kind of a clique. You guys know what cliques are. You experience those. First of all, you usually experience those about junior high and high school, right? And they get pretty heavy in high school cliques. But they don't stop there, do they? They don't stop there. Cliques. Little, little pockets of people. We think the same way. We act the same way. We look the same way. We kind of do our thing. The household of God is not a clique. Paul's saying, that's not, that's not what the household of God is. He didn't say, um, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all of you in your little circle of influence or all of you in your little church. He said for all people because there was a problem here that they were, they were limiting the gospel to just certain kinds of people. That's not the gospel. We're going to see that in a little bit later too. Not the, the gospel is for all kinds of people. So that would be another way of putting it. When he says all people, he means all kinds of people. It's for all people. Think about the people who are different than you. Uh, think about, an, how about, I, I know this is not the case for anyone here, think about an individual you don't like. That wouldn't be any of you, right? Wouldn't be any of you. Think about an individual who you would avoid talking to. <laughs> think about a group or a kind of person that you wouldn't want to hang around. That's who the gospel is for. He's challenging us to look beyond the people that are just like us and to see that God loves everyone. And our prayers should be for all people. Specifically, Paul says, we should pray for civic peace. For civic peace. Uh, I put the term this way because he talks about kings and all who are in high positions. These are people that were government leaders. They were leading this or that or the other thing. They had authority over this or that in the culture. And so for us, it would be um, the, the best way to think of it is this, our civic authorities, our civic leaders. So that's, I mean, we prayed this morning. We prayed for our city government. We, we um, had a chance to pray for our, our president and our governor and uh, representatives, senators, um, people like that. Anyone who has in, any kind of influence on our lives. And he says the purpose of our prayers is so that 
we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. At first, I think, that sounds really good, doesn't it? Right? Don't we want to have a peaceful and quiet life? Um, that, it sounds a little bit like the American ideal that, you know, I just want to, I want to live my life. I don't want people to bother me. I want to be able to do my thing. You know, so, so in our culture, that typically means we put up fences and alarm systems and we have noise ordinances. And Now, it's not that the, any of those things are bad in and of themselves, but that's, that, that typically is what we think of when we're thinking of a peaceful and quiet life, right? But I don't think that's what Paul meant. I don't think that's what he, he meant. Both of these words in the original languages are very, very similar. They both kind of have the implications of quiet or tranquil, that type of idea. So peace is good. But, but the, the situation that Paul was thinking of is that, you know, when, when trouble and turmoil and violence and anarchy are going on in society, when there's all kinds of disruptions, what does that do for the gospel message? What does that do for a church, a household of God, that is trying to serve Him and His purposes in their community and in the world? Well, it's going to prevent it, is what's going to happen. So, a peaceful and quiet life for Paul meant that it was going to be a life that was free to be on mission for God. Free to be on mission. A peaceful, quiet life was not an end in itself for Paul, but it was a means, it was a gift from God for the sole purpose of carrying out the mission. And for us, it's the same. That we, we desire freedom, we desire, we desire, the, we desire to live in peace and, and, and in a sense tranquility so that we can carry out the mission that God has given us, which is to make disciples who make disciples. That's why we have our freedoms. We, we live in a country where we're free to gather like this. We can even gather in a public place like this to worship. That is an awesome freedom. And it's not to be taken lightly. Our freedoms are here so that we can advance God's kingdom and not our own. That's what he's trying to get at here. He's, he wants us to pray for all of those people so we can pray that the gospel will have an opening in our culture and in our society. He wants us to live godly and dignified in every way and, and that, that description is, kind of, is the kind of life that we live in peace and quiet. It means that we're able to live out our faith, to live it out in a visible way and means really it implies that we are engaged in our culture. We're engaged in our society, in our community. And I, I was thinking about that because just this Friday night we had um, uh, uh, the whole community, basically, the whole city just about was out in the park Friday evening for a movie in the park. And it, we thought, well, how can we engage with our, our community like that? So we went out there and we, um, let's see, Cheryl painted, I don't know, dozens of faces my girls helped out too. They're paint doing, we're doing face painting. Some of us made balloon animals. Nikki, she made balloon animals. I tried to. I couldn't remember how to make my pirate sword. So I was a little bummed about that. Uh, I, I figured it out later in the day, but, or yesterday. I had to do some research. We just went out and we just, we just attempted to be a blessing to our city. We did that at the summer children's program. We did that at the block party. 
Many of you were there for that. Um, we just try to engage with our community. So we have, a, uh, hopefully, and what we pray for is a gospel opportunity. We pray for a gospel opportunity. And uh, by the way, my thanks for, for those of you who have come out and have helped and organized um, over the past couple of months. Um, Cheryl, Desiree, and Courtney organized everything. She's out with the kids right now. She organized everything for Friday night. Man, that is awesome. That's the kind of thing that we should do. Our faith is not for us to keep to ourselves in our homes or in our small gatherings and just, that's it. Our faith, our, our, the reason we want to live peaceful and quiet lives is so that we can live out our faith in godliness and dignity, respectfulness. So we should pray that, well, that leads right on to the next one. We should pray for gospel opportunities. Gospel opportunities. Here's, here's, here, here's the idea that if we have a peaceful and quiet life, we will have an opportunity to share the gospel. So Paul is, is going to go on to discuss the gospel here in the next few verses, 3 through 6. But uh, let me jump to verse 7 because he, he's talking about the gospel and then he says, for this, for this means for this gospel and this testimony... Uh, in verse 7, I was a po- appointed a preacher and an apostle. And he says very emphatically, I am telling the truth, I am not lying. Because there were people in the church that Paul was writing to, that Timothy was trying to lead, who were saying, Paul's a liar. Paul's a liar. He doesn't tell the truth about this stuff. We have the real truth. We have the real knowledge. It's, it's right here, and it's the way we... The way we understand Scripture, Paul's saying, look, Jesus himself appointed me to this position. He said to to preach the gospel to to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people at the time. And, And he said, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. He says, in faith and truth. That means that means the faith. The understanding of the gospel, which was the, the center of Paul's message of the gospel. And the truth, meaning that this was the true story of Jesus. His life, his death, and resurrection, it really happened. He really was born in Palestine, what we know as Palestine or, or modern Israel. He really was born there. And then he really grew up and he really lived a perfect sinless life. And he died in Jerusalem and then he rose from the dead. It's a true story. It really happened. And because of that, we bear true witness to it. So Paul's concern here, because he's on this mission, and he's realizing there that because of these false teachers, that people aren't praying for the mission. They don't want to pray for Paul. They're not really concerned about what's going outside of their own little lives. They're not really concerned about others. They're not really concerned about the outsiders, the people that aren't like them. And Paul's saying, look, my mission is to go to the people that are different, the people that don't have the truth of of Jesus, the people who are living differently. They don't have hope. They don't have Christ. Pray for me about that. Pray for gospel opportunities. Pray for gospel opportunities. Um, In in, um, Paul's letter to the the Ephesians, hmm, the same church that Timothy was serving in when Paul wrote the letter to Timothy, in that letter, he re- we're reminded of, 
of Paul's prayer about spiritual warfare, that we're, we're not fighting against other people. We're actually praying and fighting against spiritual powers, against the enemy who wants to, to deceive us, against the enemy who wants to, to keep us from God and keep us from his mission. And he talks about how we need to be armed for that battle. We need to have um, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. He's using these images from, from the Roman soldiers and their military attire. And he's saying we need to have shoes our, with, with our, our feet ready to give the gospel. Um, we need to have a shield of faith. We need to have the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And then he says, praying at all times in the Spirit. And he, and he mentions some, some things to pray about. And he says, and pray also for me that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul had told the Ephesians, he said, pray for me. Pray for me that I can be a bold witness. Pray for, well, pray for anybody and everybody you know of who is a witness for Jesus. We should pray for our missionaries. We should pray for pastors and teachers. We should pray for missional community leaders. We should pray for one another that we have boldness and opportunity to share the gospel message. Well, That's only part of it. The gospel is certainly the focus of our prayer. But the other part of it was motivation, right? The gospel is the motivation for our prayer. So I'm gonna let's let's look quickly at these at these uh, middle verses of this passage. Starting in verse three. The first thing I want to show you is that God is pleased with our prayers. God is pleased with our prayers. He says Verse 3, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So, if we want to do something that is pleasing to God, which any child would want to please his loving, gracious Father, right? We want to please our, especially when we're very young, we want to please our children. As we get a little bit older, the pleasing part seems to be negotiable. Uh, That's what I've discovered. Um, but, but, but we love our parents. We want to please. And he's saying, if you want to do what is good and you want to do what is pleasing to God, the creator of the universe, live a life of prayer. Get engaged with prayer. Let, let God's pleasure in your prayers be a motivation for you to pray for all people, to pray for the gospel, to have an opportunity in a person's life. And... and uh, this is an, here's another reason why that it's pleasing to God too. I said I'd come back to verse 1 where he says, first of all then. Well, sometimes when, when he's writing a letter and he says first, he means, okay, here's the first thing I want to talk to you about. Other times he's saying, and this is first because it's the most important. When he said, um, when he said in the previous uh, message when uh, last week's message when he said um, Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the first literally I am the first he meant he was the the number one sinner he was the greatest sinner so here is Paul saying okay first of all the first thing I want to talk to you about is the most important thing 
I think that's what he's trying to say. If we don't get prayer right, nothing else is going to work right. If prayer is not guiding our vision for our lives and guiding our vision for the church, the household of God, if it's not guiding our vision as a, as a church plant, we're just a new church. We, we have a lot of things to work on. We have a lot of things to develop. But if prayer is not guiding it, what are we doing? What are we doing? We're missing what's of first importance here. That's why it's pleasing to God. But look what he says. Verse 4, God, says who? God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires, it's his will, it's his wish, it is his, one way of looking at this is, it is his intention that all people be saved. So some may look at that and go, well, if that's his desire, or if that's his will, doesn't God always get what he wants? I mean, he's God, he's a creator, he's all-powerful, doesn't he get whatever he wants? Well, he gets what, he get what, he gets whatever he chooses to have happen. That's for sure. We definitely know that. We have that confidence. What God chooses to, to take place will take place. But here, we know from other scripture that not everyone's going to believe. Not everyone does believe. Jesus himself said, there's a wide, wide highway, interstate highway, an Audubon that leads to destru- destruction. And many are on that path. And many will find it and seek it and they'll go all the way to the end of the, end of the road. But he said, narrow, narrow is the way, narrow is the path that leads to life. And, and few find it. We know that not everyone finds salvation. Not everyone chooses to walk that narrow path, to walk the path following Jesus. We'll get to that in a second. But God's intention for us, for every person, for all people, for all kinds of people, Jews, in, in their time it was Jews versus Gentiles. He wants all people to be saved. He wants all people to come to the knowledge of the, of the truth. That is in his intention. That has been his intention from the very beginning of the story in Genesis. He says he wants them to be saved, so salvation, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And this phrase is very important. It sums up what it means to be what we often talk about as conversion. Sometimes in the church we have these, these wonderful technical terms that they mean a lot. They, they do have meaning. But they, uh, people who haven't heard of well, what is that? Conversion? What? Um, to be converted to means I was living a certain way, believing a certain thing, and then I got confronted with something that I couldn't resist. Something that I couldn't turn away from. And it changed everything. And that's what's going on here. He's talking about people when they, when they come to the knowledge of the truth. When they come to know that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. That Jesus died for our, our place. In our place. For our sins. And he rose again to give us new life and to begin something completely new in the world. When we come to that knowledge, we have that understanding. We go, yeah, well, I, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that he lived and died and he rose again. I believe that, but they're now walking in it. 
They're not just only believing it, but they're also living in it. They're saying, they're saying, okay, now I'm going to walk in the knowledge of that truth. It's going to guide my life. I'm going to make, here's a good word, a commitment. I'm going to make a commitment based on that knowledge. Knowledge enough is, a knowledge is not enough. Knowledge is not enough. But commitment to some idea is not enough either. What are you committed to? You're, you have knowledge and you have commitment. And together, they form salvation for all who believe. And that's God's desire for all. Look what he says. He says, he says okay, this is good, and this is, this is a theological basis for our prayers. This is a reason for our prayers. But then he, gets, he goes even further, and he said, here's, here's some additional reasons why this is true. There is one God. There is one God. The Jewish people, the ancient Israelites, had a, a, a passage of Scripture that they called the Shema. They called it the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The Lord your God is one. That was, that was the beginning of their theology. That was the beginning of everything that they believed. There is one God. One God. There aren't many gods. There's one God. And Paul says it again here. There is one God. There's one God because He is for everyone. There is one God for all people. There aren't multiple gods. There aren't, well, I believe in this God, so I'm okay in this culture. I believe in this God, so I'm okay in this culture. Paul says there's one God. There's one God for the Jews, one God for the Gentiles, one God. One God for everyone. That, that speaks to the, the universality of, of the Christian faith. Universality of the opportunity for salvation. That God is the one God for everyone. He's the one God for everyone. But notice what he says immediately. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This mediator, this, this idea for them, was it was somebody who brought two groups together, or two people together, mediated, the, the go-between, the one who made it possible for this individual to come and speak to this individual. It, it, it made possible... A, a person who didn't have any rights to have the right to go before the king, to have the right to go before somebody important, somebody who could make a difference for their lives. Well, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. He's the mediator. He's the mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Oh boy, there's, there's some rich stuff here. I want to unpack it all, but for the sake of time, we'll just hit a couple of highlights. The, 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 main, the main point that he's trying to make, though, about Jesus is that Jesus is the one way to God. The one way to God. There's one God for everyone, and there's only one way to get there. That's what he's saying. The, the gospel is universal in its offer, and it's very exclusive in its way. <laughs> and that, for a lot of people, that, that really bothers them. That really, that really, it really gets in the way. It can get in the way of their belief. Maybe it's gotten in the way of your belief as well. But Jesus here is the one mediator between God and men. He is the way to God. He's the only way to God. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one 
comes to the Father, God, except through me. Jesus is the one way. And look what he did. Number one, he is the man Christ Jesus. He literally, that, that word translated man, sometimes it's man in our translations. Sometimes it's pe- person or plural. It would be people. Um, he is a human being. Paul is saying, Jesus was a fully human person. He was God in the flesh, but he's fully human so that he could identify completely with us, so that he could come and experience everything that we have experienced, that could, he could be a, a, a perfect sacrifice for us. Somebody had to die for sins. And that's what he goes on to say. He says in verse 6, He gave, Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all. A ransom is, I'm going to pay for somebody. I'm going to pay for them to get out of jail. I'm going to pay for them to get out of debt. I'm going to pay for them to get out of slavery. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He paid the ransom with himself, with his own life. A perfect, perfect human sacrifice. He's fully God and he's fully man. And here Paul is emphasizing his humanity. Jesus Christ's humanity. It's it's a... it's. in other places, Paul talks about this as being a mystery. I don't want you guys to get hung up and think, well, Jesus was just a man. That's not what Paul's saying here at all. He's saying there's some kind of mystery going on here. Jesus was fully a human being, and also he was fully divine, fully God. How does that work? Whew. could write some books on that. You have coffee, a lot of, cup of, cup of cups of coffee over that discussion. Um, But that's what Paul's trying to say. That's what he's trying to get across. That's the truth that he's trying to express. He says, which is the testimony given at the proper time? So Paul ends with this in that section. Jesus is the testimony. Jesus is the message. Jesus is the good news. He is the one that we have to tell other people about. It's, It's him. We don't have any other message. We don't have a message of, hey, I decided to live my life by these certain principles and see, look what I've done with my life now. Our message is not, hey, I I chose to be a good person and this is how I'm living now. So if you choose to live like me, you can have a good life too. That's not the message. The message is Christ. The message is what Jesus has done for us. It says, For this I was appointed a preacher and apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. That's why I'm here, doing what I'm doing. That is my mission. That is our mission. That is our mission. Let me ask you to think about these things. Let me, first of all, remind you that the focus, the the focus of this entire um, message is on the gospel being the, the focus for or is focus of our prayers, and the motivation for our prayers. The the command here is to pray. And Paul's command to Timothy, pray, is our command too. That's that's how he wants us to respond today. I, I wonder, I wonder what would happen. I don't know about your prayer lives. I don't know how much you guys pray on your own. Um, we pray as a family. We pray over things constantly, like, be talking about something, sure, I'll say, we, we should pray. We should pray about that. Let's pray about that. Or we'll be talking about, you know, a concern in the family. Um, maybe a, 
a family member, um, someone in the household of God, someone in our church, and we, man, we, we're so concerned about this or that, or this person has a need, and so we think of supplication, and we, we pray. We pray together. But I wonder if our prayers are more haphazard and they're more, eh, when we get around to it or when we think about it, we'll pray. Or, well, we always pray at mealtimes. I always pray before we eat. And, and that's, the, that's the only time, those are the only opportunities we take to, prayer, to pray. I wonder what would happen if we as a, as a church committed to pray every day and said, you know what? For, this, for the next seven days, I'm just going to make a commitment to carve out 15 minutes of uninterrupted time where I'm going to pray specifically for the things that we talked about here. What did we talk about? Praying for all people. Praying for our civic peace, our leaders. Praying for gospel opportunities. What if we did that? How might that change our attitudes? How might it change our faith in God? How might it, how might it change our, the people we're praying for? May God say, look, I'm pleased with your prayers. I'm waiting for you to pray. I'm waiting for you to come to me and, and release that need to me. I'm ra- waiting for you so that I can, can answer it and show you that I am a good heavenly father who loves to answer your prayers. So, one of the things I, I, I'd like to challenge myself and I'd like to challenge you all with, will you commit to spend 15 minutes per day praying for the next seven days? Will you pray for all people? Will you pray for our civic leaders? And will you pray for gospel opportunities? The other thing is, have you considered the truthfulness of Jesus? His life? his death, and his resurrection. Have you considered that? Have you considered what that means? Have you considered, that's true, that's something I need to believe in? And then, have you made a commitment? Have you made a commitment to follow Jesus? To put your faith in him? To walk in, a, in commitment to Jesus? To learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus? And then, of course, to be baptized too. To, to commit to to follow Jesus through faith and baptism. This afternoon, like I said earlier, you are all invited to our baptism celebration out at the park at 1 o'clock. We're going to baptize two of our young people um, who have made commitments to follow Jesus. And you're going to hear their little stories. They'll be probably very short. They'll share a little bit. And we're going to baptize them because they want to be obedient. They want to be obedient to God, be baptized, and express that new life that Jesus has given them. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be awesome. So I want to um, ask you all to bow your heads with me. And we're going to pray. And then I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to respond. I don't know how God is speaking to you. But um, I want to give you a chance to respond. I'm going to be standing up here. Olivia is going to come up and, he's, and is going to sing um, the, the song that we're going, to, we're going to listen to and sing along with. Um, we've sung many times before. It's in the same, so it was in the same collection of songs that we were listening to earlier. Um, uh, if uh, I might, I might have to help out a little bit with that, but that's okay. We'll let's let's pray. Um, so, would you stand with me? Um, bow your head, close your eyes, um, and let's let's pray together.
Father, I thank you for this uh, opportunity, God, that you've given us. God, I thank you that you have called us, that you are working in our lives, in our hearts, to uh, make us what you would have us to, to be. God, we love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. I ask God that you will that you will speak through us, give us the words that you'd have us to say, give us the give us the response that you would have us to respond in the way that you would have us respond today. Uh, we love you. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. Amen. Let's sing together. As the music plays, we'll sing along. And if you want to respond this morning, um, I'm going to stand right here.